Welcome to the Texas Values Report. This is Jonathan Sines, president of Texas Values. Great to be with you on a Saturday afternoon in the great state of Texas. Hope that you're enjoying time with family. Maybe watching some football at some point this today. Maybe out with your family, enjoying some of the somewhat cooler weather. So whatever you're doing, I hope that uh, you take a little bit of time to listen to the show. If you haven't listened to the show before, you know we talk about the issues of faith, family, and freedom. And particularly as those issues come about in the areas of the courts, the legislature, and the media. And we're going to mix it up primarily today on on issues of, of the legislature at the local level, really on policy issues, but also a very important court case that just happened recently here in the state of Texas. You know, our issues really will focus on what happens in the state of Texas, but sometimes there are things that are happening outside of the state, particularly in our role in our state, that can impact other parts of the country. And so, and that's no different. So if you, you know, I don't know how you wouldn't know about Hurricane Harvey, right? So Everyone's heard of the storm. You've probably touched in some way. You might have volunteered. You might have given a little bit of money. You might have just said a prayer because you saw the devastation. And so I know, you know, our typical audience is here in the central Texas area, but you can listen to the show online. So you may you may be in Houston. Um, but nonetheless, I'm, I'm sure you're fairly familiar, have some knowledge of some of the things that have been going on in Houston really since the end of August, now into halfway through September with Hurricane Harvey, first as a tropical storm, um, then as a hurricane. And so you're probably wondering, well, this show's about faith, family, and freedom. Why are we talking about uh, one of the most devastating natural disasters? And, and for a number of reasons. I'm going to talk about some things um, that my organization was involved in. But today's show, we've got two guests. The first guest is Daniel Blomberg. He's an attorney with the Beckett Fund. They're working on a court case that relates to the religious freedom of churches involved that have been hit by this hurricane and also that have been involved in some relief efforts. And then the second half of the show, we're going to talk to Pastor Charles Flowers about an issue that's been going on in San Antonio, where the school is have, has a policy now in the San Antonio School District that puts the words gender identity, sexual orientation into their school policy and allows boys to go into girls' bathrooms if they make that request. And so we'll get into that into the second half. But I'm also going to talk about my staff who worked with Samaritan's Purse this week to do some relief efforts in Houston. But let's go into the the main segment of this first half of the show, and that is a very interesting issue in a court case that's come up in the city of Houston and also, I believe, involves a church out in Rockport where I have um, family that have property in that area. But Daniel Blomberg is our first guest on the show, and I'm going to let him lay that out. Daniel is an attorney for the Beckett Fund, for Religious Liberty, a national organization that works on religious liberty issues. Daniel has his JD from South Carolina, his undergraduate degree from Columbia International University. He's worked on some pretty important cases, the Little Sisters of the Poor case, very important religious liberty case dealing with Obamacare, and also the Hobby Lobby case about corporations having their own individual religious liberty rights and not being forced to violate their conscience as it relates to the federal government. But let's talk about the main case, and let's welcome to the Texas Values Report, Daniel Blomberg. Daniel, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jonathan. It's really good to be here. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to come talk with your uh, with your folks here this Saturday afternoon. 
Well, look, I mean, this, the religious liberty, what's happening in the courts, all those things are a very important part of the work we do, primarily at the state level. And so when we saw this issue come up, lay it out for our listeners. So there's a, your organization is representing some churches that have come into some conflicts with the federal government. There's a concern about the way FEMA is treating churches um, that are dealing with this natural disaster with Hurricane Harvey. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, well, I mean, the bottom line issue is that FEMA, while it's doing a lot of good, is also discriminating against churches just because they're churches, just because they're established to share their faith, to live their faith. And uh, but let me let, let me step back a little bit and you know kind of frame the issue. You know, we natural disasters aren't anything new. Harvey was something new in that it was the biggest natural disaster our country has ever seen. You know, initial estimates are putting it somewhere at a combination of. Hurricane Katrina and Superstorm Sandy, which were obviously devastating in their own right. And just as before, the first responders and the leading responders are private citizens, the private community, right? People are coming together, and and this estimate just came out the other day, 80% of the response, of the disaster relief response, is coming from private nonprofits, right? And these are people helping people. And FEMA comes in and provides a helping hand, to, for the federal government to sometimes coordinate, sometimes assist in that final 20% and helping the other folks that are already there kind of maximize their efforts. And one of the things that FEMA does is it helps private nonprofits get back on their feet after a natural disaster. And the reason why is these, these private nonprofits often form community centers, right? And so there are the, they're the places around which the community gathers. And so restoring them helps restore the entire community. And so they'll give money to museums, and they'll give grants to zoos, and they'll give grants to, um, you know, to, to a community center that hosts neighborhood barbecues and sewing classes and stamp clubs, all that kind of activity, because that's important stuff for the community as it's rebuilding. These are, these are places where people all come together. Well, unfortunately, FEMA says, well, we're going to help out the folks like the, the National Cephalopod Research Center, that is, you know, squids and octopi, right? We're going to help out people who are researching them. We're not going to help out the churches because the churches are established for a religious purpose. So even though those are community centers, the places where people come together and they gather, and even though rebuilding them is a really important part of restoring the community, FEMA says no, and they say no only because those community centers, those types of community centers are religious. That's religious discrimination. That violates the Constitution, and that makes no sense precisely for what we talked about at the beginning, which is that churches are on the forefront of putting the communities back together. In fact, FEMA itself has said that churches are essential that's right. Recovery that, that's the word I was thinking of, essential. We're talking with Daniel Blomberg, lawyer for the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty. Their organization is representing churches that have filed a lawsuit against the federal government. Daniel, I've had the honor of representing churches at times and being and worked on religious liberty cases going up against the government. You know, it's no easy task. Uh, and so I commend you for stepping forward to do this in your organization. Tell me again the stat, though, that 80% Tell me, run that by our listeners again, that, that nice stat you put together, about 80% of the people involved in the disaster relief. Sure, and this isn't me. This is, you know, this is an article that ran just the other day in USA Today and The Atlantic saying that 80% of the disaster relief efforts that are, that are going on are being performed by nonprofits. 
And most of those, most of those nonprofits are faith-based. Well, I FEMA recognizes this. Yeah, no, and I, and I, and it's, and while uh, notable and, and important, is not surprising. I was on the ground with my team this week in the Houston area. Samaritan's Purse is an organization that's led by Franklin Graham, a very uh, well-known religious organization, and they do things all across the world. They're, they've got five trucks on the ground. I mean, they're doing great work, but it's not just them. I mean, there are a lot of different people that are faith-based that are doing that, and it, and it is essential. Without them and other organizations, the government could not do this alone, and, and oftentimes that's the case. And so I think that's very important for people to understand that. So when the government gets in the way of that— and picks and chooses and discriminates, you know, the people that are going to suffer are people like those that uh, my team and I saw on the ground who, I mean, they are just trying to make it one day to the next. I mean, it is devastating. And I was in Rockport, too. I think one of your clients, one of the churches is from the Rockport area. I have family that have property in that area. And so the need is great. And so what you're doing to try to get the government out of the way so they're not discriminating against churches so they can't, you know, so they'll so they can get the most out of their natural gifts to help the community. I want to uh, also mention something though. I saw that President Trump put out a tweet. I mean, this is the federal government, the FEMA that is in the way that's causing this problem that's discriminating um and as it's been alleged in this lawsuit against the churches. But Trump put out a tweet saying that he didn't think churches should be treated this way. Um how did y'all see that issue? Well, so you're right. Friday evening, President Trump tweeted that churches should be treated treated not tweeted, <laughs> treated. Churches <laughs> should be treated equally. And uh and that was a really good sign, because that's all the churches are asking for here, right? I mean, the churches that we're talking about, there are three small churches. One's in Cleveland. It's Highway Tabernacle up in Cleveland. Another one's in Cyprus. That's uh, Harvest Family Church in Cyprus. Yeah, and the other one, like you mentioned, is down in Rockport. That's First Assembly of God down in Rockport. You know, these are, these are small churches that have been devastated by the storm. You know, Rockport and, and, uh, and Highway are going to have to completely rebuild their sanctuaries. They've been destroyed. And, uh, and like you were saying, right, these, these, these sanctuaries often serve as the place that people go to get recovery done. Like when, a few years ago, there was uh, a major, the worst, the worst tornadoes the southeast had seen in a long time. I went back to my native uh, Alabama to help out with some, some uh, relief efforts there. We drove... Hours and hours, a team of us from, uh, from South Carolina at that time, we drove hours and hours to get there. And when we got there, the place we went, where, all the stage, where all the staging base was located, where all the work was happening, where all the food was being served, where all the workers were being courted, it was a small Baptist church in the, the hills of Alabama. And that's what's going on in Texas. I mean, Highway Tabernacle in, in Cleveland, Highway Tabernacle, they don't have a sanctuary, so they can't do worship services right now. They could move into their gym. Except guess who's in their gym? FEMA. FEMA's in their gym, handing out re- relief and supplies and using the church's facilities, which is great, and the church is happy about that, and they did it back with Hurricane Ike, and they did it back with Hurricane Rita. You know, that's what they do. That's what churches do. And all they're asking is a fair shake well, to be uh, able to okay. line up with all the other nonprofits and get treated equally. Hold on a second. Okay, we're talking to Daniel Blomberg, lawyer for the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty. They represent churches that have had to bring a lawsuit against the federal government because they're being discriminated against because they're churches and they're trying to get FEMA relief. Let me make sure I heard you correctly. FEMA is set up in the gym 
of the Highway Tabernacle Church, but FEMA is denying the ability for churches to get disaster relief so they can get the rest of their property up and going, including the sanctuary? That's right. Wow. That's right. And, and you know what? Highway Tabernacle is happy that FEMA is there. They're happy that the county relief efforts are there. They want them there, and they're, 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 they'll not kick them out. They've got, they've got 70 evacuees living in the second floor of their gym right now. They've got over a dozen families living there. The kids are going to school. They're catching the school bus out in front of Highway Tabernacle. The, the mail is being delivered for these families to Highway Tabernacle because they've got nowhere to go. And this is what churches do, and they're driven to do it by their faith. And that's great. That's good. And it, you know what? It's the, the museums and the zoos and the community centers aren't doing this, right? They're not doing this, and that's okay, too. If they don't, you don't have to, to be considered by FEMA to, for, for, to, get, to get these disaster relief grants. You don't have to help the community. You don't have to open your doors in disaster relief. But it makes no sense to say to churches, even though you're doing above and beyond what we require for the other kind of nonprofits, we're not going to help you when you're trying to get back on your feet. It yeah, just no, doesn't it, make it, sense. It actually yeah. hurts the community. That's right. I mean, and, and it just really kind of highlights um, how troubling it is when these type of things happen. Because, I mean, and, the, and it, it also is an opportunity for the churches to show or for people to see, if you will, the value of their work and naturally what they do. And so uh, it, it doesn't make any sense at all. So the lawsuit was filed in September What's next? What's going on right now as far as the court process? So we are in front of the court. We have asked, you know, this is an emergency situation. You know, these churches are trying to rebuild right now. They need help right now, just like so many other houses of worship across the state of Texas and Louisiana and in Florida and in my, my city of Charleston, right? I mean, people, these houses of worship have been hit hard. And so we're in front of the court asking the court for emergency relief. And you know what FEMA's doing? FEMA is doing two things that are really disappointing. You know, not only do they have this discriminatory policy, but they came into court just the other day, and they said, you know that, president, that tweet from President Trump? <laughs> We're not paying any attention to it. We don't think that binds us. We're going to keep following our policy, which discriminate against, discriminates against churches. That's really unfortunate, and that's terrible for the churches that are trying to put their, their lives and communities back together right now. They're trying to pick up the pieces. Well, and The other thing that FEMA said... Yeah, go, oh, ahead. go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Hey, all right, so the other thing that FEMA said, and this, this really got my goat, I'm going to be honest. They said, these churches are trying to skip ahead in line, that they're asking the court to give a quick ruling. Quick ruling. They're, they're trying to get ahead in line. That's crazy. I mean, that is just crazy sauce. There's nothing in the, 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 uh, the regulations that say about any other nonprofits, hey, if you're established be, to research cephalopods, we're not going to help you. Right, and there's no other history of you know like happened to Mount Nebo Baptist Church, a small African American church in in New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. No other no other locations have had a situation like they had, where it took ten years for FEMA to look at them in the eye and say, you know what, we would help you out because you've done things like clothing drives and you've done things like HIV/AIDS counseling and you've served your community in all these ways. But guess what? You were established to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says that in your Articles of Incorporation. Since that's why you exist, we're not going to help you. That's wrong. And to say that churches are trying to skip ahead in line when all they're trying to do is put to bed an unjust discrimination that FEMA's been engaging in for decades is, frankly, a little irritating. Well, Um, and and, I mean, you could argue the U.S. Supreme Court has addressed this issue or certainly seemed to address a 
an element or a principle this with the Trinity Lutheran case recently. And so, I, you know, it doesn't seem like the federal government has a strong case. Um, they're, they're not going to look good publicly. I mean, particularly with the court case being in Houston. I mean, the devastation is all around that community. I drove through it earlier this week. I have friends and family that are there. Um, and, and not to mention, the fact that the recovery efforts are going to go on for quite some time. It's not like people are like, oh, well, that storm blew through and, and we're moving forward with the next thing. I mean, you look at you just look at the media. I mean, it's going to continue to be talked about. And so and then you've got now the Trump, I mean, excuse me, President Trump stepping in and giving his opinion. So, well, look, we wish you the best on this. We want to get an update from you as it goes along. Tell us the website of your organization if people want to find out more about what's happening on this issue and others. Yeah, go to BeckettLaw.org. That's B-E-C-K-E-T Law.org. You can find out more about this case. You can find out more about these churches, Highway Tabernacle, uh, Harvest Family Church, and First Assembly of God down in Rockport. These are churches that are in need of help, and these are churches that are trying to help everybody else, right? Because once they win this case, and we, we like you said, the, the Supreme Court's ruling in the Trinity Lutheran case just this summer— uh, should be great precedent for why the churches should win this case. Once they win this case, they'll be opening the doors so that FEMA will treat every other house of worship fairly. That's very important. I agree. Daniel Blomberg from Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty has been our guest today on a very important case about religious liberty and how uh, churches are being impacted in uh, in a negative way by FEMA. And we hope this continues to move forward and you have success with it, and we look for an update from you soon, Daniel. I'll look forward to it, Jonathan. Thank you. All right. Thanks for being on the show. Well, that's good stuff. I mean, look, this is an important issue. We're going to talk about it. We're going to have it on our blog, excuse me, on our our Facebook page, and you can see more updates there, and we'll be staying in touch with the Beckett Fund to find out. Let's switch gears, though. Let's, you know... So that is a Houston issue, somewhat more of a national issue. You've got FEMA involved. You've got the federal government involved, but at the local level... We've been dealing with an issue and interacting and helping our friends in San Antonio on an issue that, look, and you might hear, oh, San Antonio, I don't have to worry about it. I don't live in that area. It's an indication of what could be coming to your your school district next. And so Pastor Charles Flowers is going to be our guest in this next segment. And what's been going on is the San Antonio school district, behind closed doors, put together a policy and then voted on it with really no notice to parents that adds sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression to their discrimination protection for students, faculty, and staff, and applies to issues that relate to bathrooms, shower rooms, and locker rooms. And so anytime you add the words gender identity, sexual orientation, particularly gender identity, to your discrimination protection list, that's where the uh, people are able to request to use the bathroom or shower or locker room that corresponds to their gender identity, which can be different than their biological sex. So that's a new policy in San Antonio. And when they put up the notice for the policy, um, the description of what it would be didn't, didn't say anything about gender, didn't say anything about sexuality, didn't say anything about uh, a school policy for bathroom, listed none of those things. I mean, you would have no idea what they were talking about or that any of this issue, these issues would have come up based on the description. And, and here's the description. It said approval of revision board policies, DIA local, FFI local, and FFH local. What does that mean? You would have had, you would have had no idea. And so I, it, it seemed to be clear to us that what we were seeing was an effort by the school district to not be transparent 
and to be open because they knew if, and my belief is, it, it, it appears to us, if parents had heard about this, there would be controversy, there would be opposition, there would have certainly been more people at the meeting than one. So once the parents did find out about it, the next time the school board met in San Antonio was this Monday, and there was more than one person there, I can guarantee you. And somebody that was there on the ground was Pastor Charles Flowers. He's going to tell us all about it. Pastor Flowers, welcome back to the Texas Values Report. Uh, good morning, Jonathan. I have a I have a ringing on this end. I don't know if you can hear it on your end or not, but uh, it just stopped. Okay. Oh, there we go. We got that cleared up. So the... San Antonio ISD had a school board meeting, and we talked about it on the show several times. I did a little bit of setup just now. So the update is you and I were a part of a press conference on Monday, but then there was a school board mm-hmm. meeting Monday evening, and this issue was not mm-hmm. on the agenda, but there's a public forum section, if you will, where people can just talk about whatever's concerning them, and that portion of the meeting was packed with our people, if mm-hmm. you will, people on our side. Tell us how it all went down. Well, as you described, uh, the, the San Antonio Independent School District Board uh, fast-tracked something, um, uh, an article on there uh, that, that dealt with the school system and the bathroom issue and the gender identity issues without informing the parents. The, the major thing there is not only did it violate the safety of children, but they did it without notifying parents. And it seems to be a trend that those who are in authority in the educational system think that they no longer have to confer, nor do they need the insight or the consent of parents in dealing with their children, as if though they think that the state is now the master of children rather than families. Yeah, I mean, the kind of disrespect that you see is just, I mean, it's it's very troubling. And, you know, when the state legislature concluded their special session without passing the privacy legislation that would have made it clear what the statewide law and policy was on how to deal with these things so school districts weren't making them up on their own and making a mess of this and causing controversy publicly. We said, if this doesn't pass, you're going to see local school districts do it. They're not going to be transparent. They're not going to specifically notify parents. And it's going to cause a lot of problems. So let's have something consistent statewide so we can avoid those problems. But Joe Strauss didn't want to listen to it, and now here we are in San Antonio. And in less than a week after the special session ended, here we're now facing this issue in in the city of San Antonio. Well, and and, you know— yeah, as much as it, it might be nice to be validated, that's not our goal. We don't want these things to happen. There were a lot of parents that showed up opposing this. We had students opposing it. Uh, tell us, you know, your impression of, I mean, the, you know, I wasn't there. My staff was there. Nicole was there with you. The room was packed. So it's clear that there's opposition from the San Antonio community about this new school policy. Yes, and it was packed only because parents heard about it. And they, uh, you know, that's a reason for, uh, there's a reason for where they landed in in terms of the the school district. Uh, There are several school districts here in our city. San Antonio Independent School District is, uh, covers majorly the the part of the inner city. They're usually uh, democratically aligned, the voters are. uh, And so, and and then, Many of them don't feel like they're the kinds of people who can get in front of a camera or in front of a podium or in front of officials and speak. Uh, so it was a well-thought-out strategy on the part of those who are trying to push this 
to start at SAISD. But the point is they want to start start there. They're not they don't they're not just trying to grab this district and run off with it. They're really using this to set a precedence for every district in San Antonio. There are some districts they know this won't fly in. Uh, but they thought that it would fly in SAISD, and they're wrong. The parents have risen up, and there are some efforts ongoing. Some of the things I'm keeping under my hat because uh, it's strategic. But I can tell you this without the shadow of a doubt, the parents in SAISD and the students in SAISD, the students uh, are adamantly opposing what this policy has done not so much that it's an LGBTQIAA thing, and whatever alphabet is at the end of that cause, uh, but because it was done without any consideration for trauma and for, uh, you know, uh, sexual violations that other students have undergone. And this policy doesn't, doesn't regard them at all. So the students are fired up. And, the, and so are the parents. And we're working things uh, that need to be worked. I think that ultimately we'll be able to get the strong attention of SAISD and get the policy rescinded. Well, and, you know, what we've seen in Fort Worth and other parts of the state, uh, these are things that, are, that continue to go on and are efforts that – that can be one, but it doesn't happen in one week. It doesn't happen in one meeting. Sometimes it does, but right. rarely. So people, we're gonna, you're going to hear us talk about this again. If you haven't been able to get involved yet, you can. You can go to our website, txvalues.org. We've got a way that you can directly email and call the school board. You can sign a petition. You can get involved. We need parents and students that live in San Antonio School District to come to the meeting uh, this coming Monday evening. And we'll have information on our website and on our Facebook social media pages about it. If you know people that live in that area, you need to let them know what's going on. Pastor Flowers, we appreciate the work that you're doing. You live in San Antonio. This is your community. I know that it matters to you. I know it matters to people that attend your church. And, you know, we couldn't be more happy to be able to be there with you, partner, come alongside you and help you with the work that you're doing. And so we're going to have you come back when we get an update on this issue. But I know probably before that, I'm going to see you in person. Yes, okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Pastor Flowers, yeah. thanks for being our guest on the show today. We're about out of time. Uh, man, 30 minutes goes by quick sometimes. And a lot that we covered, but really two big issues. And go to our website, txvalues.org. Go to our social media pages. You can find out what's going on. Uh, at the local level, at, at the San Antonio School District, the Houston issue. Before I conclude, my team had the pleasure of working with Samaritan's Purse, a ministry through Franklin Graham that is about disaster relief. We did it in Houston, my hometown where I grew up. Just a very humbling experience. I will just tell you that. I mean, we got into the nitty gritty at someone's home, gutting it, taking things out, trying to you know really just pull everything out so maybe they could salvage the home and put it back into place and and rebuild at some point, but it is some tough work going on in Houston and people 
are, huff, are suffering, don't forget about them. There are a lot of great charities out there. Support what you feel called to support. But if you're thinking about one that you're, in, you know, one you haven't heard of or you want to know about, Samaritan's Purse is a great way to support the efforts, and they are on the ground in Houston. That's it for this week of the Texas Values Report. Go to txvalues.org. You can donate to our work if you like the work that we do as well, and you can learn more about faith, family, and freedom in Texas. <laughs>